0: Hey, I'm Mary Ellen Dance, licensed mental health counselor and owner of Pittsburgh Therapy. I'm on a mission to strip away the stigma surrounding therapy and mental health and talk about how we can use the culture of self-improvement for our benefit rather than our demise. I used to think I was doing life all wrong, from getting fired from a dream job to advising clients on relationships while I myself was trying to sort through that dumpster fire. But then I realized my imperfections are what made me a good therapist. So join me on a journey, not to be perfect, but to be, well, okay-ish. Welcome, your session has now started. Hello, I am so excited to be here with you today. And I actually have a really, really special guest with me. I have Tara Murphy here with me. She coins herself as the Wall Street Wanderlust, which I think is absolutely amazing. She is a big finance person. She's based in Toronto. She's an investment banker and internationally recognized money expert. So, She's a big deal. She has a strong passion for travel, finance, and living a healthy lifestyle. After saving $100,000 before age 24, Tara bought her first property downtown Toronto, started working in investment banking, runs her own consulting company called TMM. She has a blog, she's created an online course. She teaches people all about finance. Tara specifically focuses on helping young entrepreneurs and women work through money blocks, negotiate salaries, pay off debt, manage day-to-day finances, and learn to invest. Tara is a strong believer that our money should be working as hard for us as we work for ourselves. So she has made it her mission to inspire her community and to show that the world of investing is an opportunity for you to truly be wealthy I'm so excited to have her on because you may be thinking, okay, why is a mental health podcast talking about money? But it's so, so related. And we will get all into that. So I'm so excited for you to have a listen. I love this day and age. Like as much as I like kind of hate social media, I also love it because I connect with so many more people. It's amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you would never meet these people otherwise. Exactly. So thank you so
0: much for being here with me today. Thank you so, so much. I'm so excited because I I feel like I have a thousand questions for you. So I apologize in advance. But how did you become this Wall Street wanderlust? Which, by the way, I'm obsessed with that little phrase.
1: Thank you. Well, I have a huge passion for travel all the time. I used to. And even as a child, I had an interest in money and not much like material items, more so I would notice like the divide in rich and poor. I would notice like we'd go to the store and a credit card be used. And I didn't understand like that's not cash. So what are you doing? So I've always had kind of a an interest in finance in general and money. business, Bachelors of Commerce. And finance in school was not like finance in the real world. It was like depreciation, amortization, trying to figure out mortgages. But it was really after university that I was like, okay, cool. Thanks for teaching me all that stuff. But I really want to know how people can get ahead with their money. So I just made it my mission really for the past like 10 years to dive into personal finance. And I started teaching a few years ago because once I got the hang of it, I'm like, okay, I need to out because a lot of people don't know. I didn't know. No one taught us in school. So it really kind of just dropped in this role. And I wanted to share with as many people as possible. That is so, so
0: incredible. And I say this all the time, like, are they changing school curriculum? Like, I didn't know anything. When I graduated high school, I knew like calculus, but I didn't know how to balance a checkbook, which I guess we don't really need anymore. But like, I didn't know like what interest
1: rates met or like anything like that. Why aren't they teaching us this? you know what? It's so funny. And I don't ever mean to knock the school system because I have a good friend who's a high school teacher. And I always say like on social media and stuff, I say like, this is the shit they didn't teach you in school. And she's like, well, Tara, we're kind of given our curriculums, whatever. It's just funny to me that you, you have guidance counselors and you're raised in school to have a well-rounded education, but every single human being is going to be earning money. At some point in their life. That's what they're teaching you to do to get a job. But they're not teaching you what to do with it. Even post-grad, even I have girlfriends who are surgeons. They do surgery or they're dental surgeons. And nobody taught them how to manage their debt, A, or their personal finances once they are earning. And I just think it's a huge gap in society. And people just didn't used to talk about it. And now I'm just proud that more people are opening up about the conversation with money and about money because it's really important. We all you know, handle money every day.
0: Absolutely. And I've noticed a little bit of a different shift. So I grew up and we're probably a similar age range. I grew up in like a, you don't talk about money. You don't ask about money. Like it's not proper.
1: And do you see like a shift with that? Yeah, I see. I don't know if our parents in that generation will ever really open up about money. And I don't think there'll be a shift, you know, with my grandparents or parents, but In our generation, like you look at TikTok, everyone's talking about everything. Everyone's talking about every goddamn thing. So of course, money is going to be a topic. It's just now there's an issue of who do you trust when it comes to money? Do you trust an advisor? Do you trust somebody on TikTok? This is your money. Like this is not something you take lightly. You work hard for your money. So where do people turn when it comes to really seeking that advice or recommendations? And that's kind of where it's still a little shifty. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Because I don't even know. I mean, I learned about what a fiduciary meant from John Oliver on late night TV once. But like, I think that there's being I talk about feelings all day, I don't talk about money, right. And so being there is so much information. And I feel like I talk about this with mental health, too. Like, at this point, there's mental health information everywhere. But like, where are you getting this information? How do we know if it's good information for us?
1: Yeah, I feel like money. It's so funny. You talk about feelings all day. I talk about money all day. But with money comes a lot of feelings. And people Do not associate the two together. And that's why it's funny because women actually make for better investors because you have to be patient to be great investors. You have to be, you know, unemotional when it comes to decision making. And I feel like because women become mothers or the role that we play kind of in our spousal situations, women kind of have a more rational approach to investing. And it has said that it makes them better investors. But I feel like you go where what feels right. You know, If you have an advisor and they're making you feel uncomfortable, you don't feel like you have autonomy over your money, then you take that feeling that's associated with the money and you make a change. Or if you're feeling stressed about your finances, then you really need to take a step back and ask yourself why you're feeling that way. Is it because you don't have a plan? Is it because you're not earning enough? What is the trigger of those feelings? And then you can actually step back from the feelings and make a sound decision. So I don't think there's a right answer of who to trust. I think you trust yourself Mm -hmm. if you're honest with yourself, and then you've got kind of go in a direction where, okay, how can I align my goals with somebody who can help me now that I know what they are?
0: Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. So I have found in my business, and again, I, I recommend people to financial advisors and whatnot, but it's so interesting how reluctant people are to talk about money. So I -hmm. will be in a therapy session and we will be talking about, you know, childhood traumas and we'll be talking about sex lives and all of these things. I'll be like, okay, let's talk about the stressors of money. You know, if they've brought it up, if it is appropriate and they'll be like, oh, it's fine. No, no. So many people
1: are so reluctant to talk about it. Mm. You know why? Because there's this stigma of shame or guilt around money. And I feel like there's also this huge stigma of I'm doing it wrong. And they don't want to acknowledge that or even know where to start or even know why they're doing it wrong. I work with a lot of clients on teaching them how to invest. I have a program about learning how to invest. Right now and this year, the markets are horrible. They're horrible. And people think they made poor purchasing decisions or poor investing decisions and you know what it's not you it's the market right now it's not always every year of your life going to be providing amazing returns but over time yes history says you will come out ahead in the end 100% over time in the history of the stock market there's never been a correction or a crash or anything that hasn't recovered so when people are looking at those you know decisions that they've made whether it's a spending decision they feel guilty about or an investing decision that's gone down that they feel you know, stupid or incompetent about, they don't realize nothing is your fault. We weren't taught any of this shit. So how, if we don't know what we're supposed to be doing, should it be, you know, shameful to be doing it incorrectly? And what does incorrectly mean? So that's how I feel like people hold back a little and it's personal, you know, it's a very personal thing to talk about.
0: But I love that. I love the pointing out like the guilt and shame and just frankly, embarrassment that people have and kind of normalizing that. And because, and I think often, at least I've seen this with people because of that guilt and shame, because of the embarrassment, you know, we kind of dig ourselves into deeper and deeper holes because we're afraid to ask for help.
1: Right. Right. And I feel like it's just like anything else. You know, if you have fitness goals, but you don't go to the gym, it's like, okay, you can dream about it and think about it, but you you know you're not taking action. It's the same with healthy eating or any goal that you have really. It's if you know I should be doing this with money or I should be better and you're too overwhelmed to look at it, I'm trying to normalize everybody's overwhelmed, whether you're a financial expert or you're not with different parts of money in your life. Everybody has to make big money decisions in their lives. Everybody goes through the same processes. You're not alone, first of all. And second of all, it's not a fault that you don't know, like you haven't learned. So I really try and say like, Not your problem that you're not amazing with money because nobody taught you. So you can't, you know, if you didn't learn how to drive a car, you don't just get in the car, you're going to (laughs) crash. I love that. And so we talked about this a little
0: bit offline, but so I'm involved in a nonprofit called the Women's Foundation for Financial Education. Our goal is to educate women who are going through a divorce because historically, not all the time, and thankfully this is changing, but historically, women who are going through a divorce often haven't handled the money. So we often see women coming through the doors who are going through a divorce who say, I have absolutely no, I I don't even know a log into a bank account. I have no idea how much money is in a bank account. I have no idea how much money I make. I have no idea of anything. And thankfully that's changing, right? And we're trying to educate of how to understand these things. But are you seeing that a lot? And are you seeing kind of a shift
1: around that? I'm seeing that a lot as well. But I'm seeing also more of, and this is a conversation, I actually had this conversation with another woman about two months ago, because it happened to her, the side of estate planning. Yes, mm-hmm. like family planning with your marriage. And if you get divorced, and a lot of people don't know, I've been married before, like even my followers, I have whatever thousands of followers, I bet you probably like 200 people know that I was married. It's not a secret <laughs> at all to me, like ooh, divorce is not a dirty word. I, I try to normalize normalize that too. But I was only married for 11 months and I was married to a guy that was my best friend. And we both decided like, okay, like we're, we're actually best friends. So I actually was fortunate to have a very amicable, we split everything right in half and I always handled our finances. So for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to be fair, whatever. But I went through that process. And even still there's people on the outside of the couple that are encouraging you not to share so depending on how you're getting you know separated or what the divorce situation it was actually tough for me in my divorce cuz me and my ex-husband were like no we're making this decision we're good it was all of the family and friends around that didn't really understand that were like well what did he do what did she do making it so much more i guess tumultuous than it needed to be and that's the that was the trauma i had with trauma and money and divorce was because You know, it could have been just easy breakup, similar thing, but instead everybody else treats it as, well, you're entitled to this, you're entitled to this. So first of all, I encourage women to know when they're in their marriage, you know, what's going on with the finances. Mm -hmm. Second of all, outside of just marriages, I've spoken to a lot of women who they've lost their husbands or their Mm -hmm. father's. And it's not due to a separation or a divorce, but at that point, they really don't know how to handle and they don't know, can I afford my home now without that income? What do I do with my money? So no matter what situation in life, people pay taxes, people die, people get married, people divorce, like it's just facts of life. And I think helping yourself become better prepared for those uncertainties, they're all traumatic is something that we all need to work on day to day. And it doesn't have to be intimidating. It can just be like conversations with your partner about, hey, like maybe you could show me how to do this or let's talk about money in a way that's non-threatening. And I think that would help a lot.
0: I literally love everything you're saying. I'm like hanging on to every word right now. And I love that you you mentioned divorce isn't a dirty word, but neither is money. Neither is estate planning. Yeah. Neither is talking about. And so kind of normalizing these words, normalizing talking about it. Like, yes, you'll have to have serious conversations, but it's not this scary,
1: scary thing that we kind of make it out to be. Kudos to you for what you're doing in that world, because I wish there was something nearby for me to do that. And I would also love to help women understand, hey, you don't have to hush hush about your divorce, people grow, people change, people move apart. Mm-hmm. Every circumstance is different. I was very fortunate to be a very in you know, an amicable split. And it's still like, I wish my ex-husband love and happiness and health and all that stuff. But not every situation is as fortunate. But I feel like you know, open, honest conversations in a partnership. And as you're exiting a partnership are very important. And with your family, as your family planning, teaching our children, you know, that it's okay to talk about money and that money exists. And these decisions are hard for people, you know, especially in these world COVID and fear, you know, talking about money should not be an extra stress on your life. Exactly. Well, and, and teaching
0: children, you know, the value of a dollar and what it means to make money and things like I think those conversations can start from such a young age. Do you ever deal with people who struggle with being victims of financial abuse? Like have you seen that a lot in your work? Yeah,
1: so you know what? I actually don't have people coming to me saying Hey, this happened to me or I've been financial abused, but I bring it up in workshops and my free masterclasses and things that I do because a lot of people don't know, Hey, these are red flags of financial abuse. And I swear to God, I can feel crickets and I can see, I get the goosebumps, the whole thing, because I know there are women sitting there in that class that A, like can acknowledge to themselves that this happens to them. Or B, never recognize that this happens to them and this is a huge shift for them when I'm saying these things that, oh, you know, and financial abuse doesn't only come from your partner. It could come from your parents. Mm -hmm. Having control over money, you know, a lot of people that come from wealthy families, cutting that credit card up or taking your car away or removing, all of that falls under the umbrella of financial abuse and people don't like to use the word abuse. But again, you have to acknowledge that that's maybe something you've gone through and that impacts now how you view money and your self-worth when it comes to earning and all that. I am so glad that you saw all of that
0: because it's true. People don't like to use the word abuse and I couldn't define financial abuse for you, but it can come in all shapes and sizes. And so being able to recognize it or being able to have someone like yourself come in and say, okay, this is not okay. Like these are where the boundaries lie and what you're entitled to or how to talk about money with respect, I think is so important.
1: Yeah. And if you want to define it a little further, a few of the red flags are, you know, having the control over the money and taking it away as punishment and or as reward. So if as a child, you know, you do this, I'll pay you this, or you do this, I'll give you this, or you'll have access to this. If everything comes down to a monetary choice while you're growing up, that control can lead to financial abuse because when they take it away, that's an abuse of power. In a circumstance or with your partner, if they withhold information on purpose, or if they make you feel like you can't control the money, those kind of things will lead to essentially anything where it's control over your finances without your knowledge or your power leads to financial abuse. And in a relationship, sometimes when there's a married couple, a man will make his own executive decision that I'm going to remortgage the home mm-hmm. and not tell my partner, I'm going to do this or... All of those are signs of an abuse of financial power. So in turn, it becomes financial abuse. I've been with girlfriends who had boyfriends who bought them beautiful gifts or funded parts of their lifestyle, and it became normal until it wasn't. Until it was like, I can take your computer and your phone. You have nothing. I can take your wallet. You have nothing. And that's when it gets scary because you don't realize. You don't look at a person and think, "Hey, you could do that to me." You're like, "Oh, I'm just taken care of, and things are good, and I provide in other ways." But you don't realize that in the back of that person's head, they may at any time abuse that control. And then you're left with, you know, you have to start over. You're left with nothing.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, and you know, it's interesting. This is kind of opening another can of worms, but I see this a lot with supporting women going through divorce. So often I see couples that are married that have separate bank accounts. And so they think they're under the impression that, okay, this bank account is mine and this bank account is yours. Well, according to the law, you're married. It's all marital property. I actually think like people need to be like given like a handbook before they get married. That's like, no, this is what this means in terms of like marriage is a financial contract because I see that a lot that it's
1: like, oh, well this savings account is in my name. Well, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is too, And oftentimes the man or one partner will know that this is all joint and will hide debt because the debt becomes both of yours. If someone passes away or somebody, you know, you get divorced, you have to consider someone's assets and also their debt. And if you don't know that they have that debt, okay, you're signing up for, it's very, it's very horrible and sad when you get into a situation where somebody passes and you haven't had these conversations because then you're responsible for- There's no going to court. There's no talking about it. There's no negotiating. It's just on you now to figure this out. So I think in that regard, you know, estate planning, wealth planning, insurance for yourself and your spouse is very important. So you're not left alone at the end of the day. Yeah, you're traumatized that something happened to your partner or somebody passed. And now you have to deal with the trauma of handling all the finances to pay for things like a funeral or whatever. And that I've seen that more often than I've seen. Well, maybe people talk to me about it more openly than financial abuse because if they've lost a person, like somebody pays for a funeral, somebody pays for arrangement. And if you don't have insurance, that person that pays for it is your family or your spouse. And that kind of stuff is like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars.
0: Well, and it's devastating because oftentimes like a symptom of depression or being in a depressive state, which can be triggered by a loss, which can be for whatever reason is lack of motivation, lack of being able to complete activities of daily living. If you're struggling to shower, you're not paying your bills. You know what I mean? And so I think that like in terms of mental health, we don't talk about that enough of like people who are struggling. So I got this statistic from, there's like a really cool organization that's all about money and mental health to like share resources. So I got this statistic from them, but in America, 46% of people with problem debt, meaning like not a mortgage or not a credit card they pay off every month, but like debt that they can't get out of that they're not able to pay off every month. 46% of people with problem debt also have a mental health diagnosis. And it's interesting because we don't know which comes first, right? Like, did you kind of fall into a hole because you were in a depressive state and you were trying to, you know, get yourself out of bed every day, or did you fall into a depressive state because you couldn't pay your bills? I mean, and who knows? There's probably like thousands of reasons, but it's really interesting to look at How can we support both of those things when both of those things need to be addressed?
1: Yeah, and that's when I think being honest with yourself is, you know, in all sense of the word in all parts of your life is very important. And especially when it comes to money. And that's why I preach so much. We have a choice not to be in financial stress. You have a choice to make a few different steps acknowledge where your challenges are, address them. You know, it doesn't take money to do that all the time. It takes literally you wanting to and the drive for you to want to get better in that area. You can remove it. There are other things in your life you can't remove. If you have, you know, relationship issues or, you know, you have dependents, so now you have more financial responsibility. You can't remove those, but you can remove your financial stress. You have the power to do that and you have total control over everything you earn. So I always preach to my students, remember that, you know, you have this power, it's in your control, and you need to give your finances direction and attention. Because if you're ignoring them, first of all, then you're ignoring any challenges you have. If you don't give them direction, if you don't pay your bills and give that money direction, it's just going to sit there. Nobody does it for you. So mm-hmm. I think a, there's a huge gap in our system where we weren't taught But B, it actually is very easy and not so overwhelming just to think of it like, okay, what is the purpose of this finance? Where can I give it direction and and where can I give it more attention? And then that will solve literally 50% at least of the stress that exists with money.
0: Oh my gosh, that's incredible. And it's so, so true. I see a lot of people in my line of work with like what I was talking about with kind of like the depressive states, but also. A really common symptom of mania, if somebody has bipolar disorder or is going through a manic state is just overspending, gambling all their money away, you know, kind of going on like a bender. And then those are holes that are very hard to get out of because that could be like a large sum of money. But it's interesting because it also begs that question of, okay, how do we support both of these things at the same time? How do we support, you know, their mental stability? And, you know, not doing that again, but also their money stability to make sure that they are paying their bills and their lights are still on so that they can have the, you know, mental health support. Like, I feel like it's just like this ping-ponging back and forth.
1: Yeah. Yeah and i think a lot of times when you handle the money situation or the stress and you do attention comes first you're looking at it and you're acknowledging you know what i need to change and then when you give it direction aka making a plan no matter what that plan looks like i feel like that leads to reduced stress because yes. it doesn't matter the number in your bank account it really doesn't you could have millions in there, or you could have hundreds in there and you still are going to stress about the same things, i.e. the emotional triggers that come with money. Like what should I spend on? What should I be buying? What should I do with my money? Am I earning enough? I think it's less about the number and more about, do I know what I'm doing? And do I have a plan to be better? No matter what that means for me, once you do, and you can answer those two questions, I think your mental health comes with it. A positive mindset comes with it.
0: And I absolutely agree with that. And I recently did an episode a few weeks ago on happiness and how money can buy happiness, but only up until like 75 grand. Yeah. <laughs> they say that. They have a cost. They say that after that, like, like money buys happiness to, to a certain extent, you know, that we're not stressing over our bills, but every single month. But then after that, it's like, no, 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 no. And I actually, you probably know like statistics and research on this, but I actually have heard that people in higher brackets, like very, very high brackets are actually less happy. Like their happiness levels are less because that's, there's so much more money to handle.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And you know what? It's funny. Like they say in the finance world, whether it's $1,000 or $100,000, if you can't look at it the same and manage it the same, you know, you don't have to be talking about managing a million, but if you can't man- manage a thousand, You know, it's the same, essentially. When I see clients that are struggling with debt, I treat them the same and ask them the same questions for them to ask themselves as I do with clients who are like, oh, I just inherited this money. What do I do with it? It's the same. What are your priorities? What are your goals in life? You know, and you said something really interesting. Money buys happiness or money doesn't buy happiness. And for me... It doesn't mean money tangibly buys happiness. I'm sure that it does up to a certain extent, but understanding and having control over money and negating financial stress buys happiness 100% hands down. If that comes with the phrase money buys happiness, it does every time because having zero financial stress eases your mind in order for you to be more and I talk a lot to my students about it's not money. It's not the not tangible value of money. It's the freedom that comes with money. The independence, the options that come with money. Like this is why I decided I'm going to be wealthy. Doesn't have to come from my parents. Doesn't have because I want the option to change what I do for a living. I want the option to change where my feet are and where I sleep at night. I want the option to travel and help people. It doesn't have to equate to, I get a lot of trolls on social media that call me opportunistic or. Uh, all these other things—they just say you're selfish. How do you sleep at night? All you care about oh, is money. Gosh. I get a lot of, <laughs> I get a lot of comments like that in my world, and it's like having more money gives you the ability to help more people. Okay, you could do actually whatever you want, the money, but it's up to me to decide. Like, give my money, my attention, and direction. And those trolls don't know where my attention and direction is. If I want to help my mother, or my grandmother, or my brother, or my family, or other. I just think there's, you know, the money buys happiness phrase is just a funny one because you can take it kind of. In many different In so many different directions, so many different directions. And I think that I love,
0: can you speak a little bit more to the fact that, you know, if somebody comes in with a million dollars versus somebody coming in with a million dollars in debt, you say the same things to them. Like, I think that that's so important for people to hear that, like, you don't have to be wealthy to need to manage money. I hear people say this all the time, like, oh, I don't need to talk about money. There's nothing to talk about. I don't have money. And it's like, oh, no, but we need to so that you are less stressed about it so that you can plan for your future, plan for your retirement, get all the resources that, you know, are available, all of those kinds of things. So can you speak a little bit more to that?
1: Yeah. And I think you brought up a good point. Debt is a funny one because debt is also not, divorce is not a dirty word. Debt is not a dirty word because Debt comes with the territory and a lot of people borrow, wealthy people borrow to redirect and invest their money. So the word debt doesn't have to be always a bad word. And to be honest, you don't have to pay down all of your debt before you can start to save or invest or whatever. I actually recommend you don't. Because I recommend that students have a good balance of paying themselves and repaying their debt, whether that means investing or saving or whatever, because you know what, if you're going to be in a cycle of debt repayment and something happens to you, what do you have to do? Now you have to go ask for more debt. Mm-hmm. If you don't give yourself that pocket or that emergency fund, or you know, if you're not investing in your own self, if you're focusing on repaying debt, because that's what society tells you to do, then God forbid, an emergency comes up or anything, like even, oh, I have to fix my car, you have to reach back into that pocket of debt, then you're going to owe more and you're going to be in your same cycle. So I think paying down debt and paying yourself at the same time, even if it takes you 5, 10, 15, whatever years longer to repay your debt, you know what, at the end of the day, you have your own little basket here that's yours that nobody can touch or take from you. And you don't have to rely on debt every time mm-hmm. something happens as this mm-hmm. vicious cycle. And that's what America and North America does to you. They want you to rely on the debt. They want to raise those rates. They want you to need more debt. So I know that wasn't exactly the question, well, but I, I just it. wanted to bring that up because people you know, think, oh my God, I'm crippled in debt. You're not, you know, you're not crippled in debt. And if you are, you still have options and you should still be, you know, patting yourself first before you're paying down the debt. I think that's really important.
0: And I think that you just said something also really, really interesting. I think that often people are afraid to talk about money too, because there are discrepancies. Personally, I grew up in a privileged household. I was middle class and my parents worked and they had a house and you know, things like that. But it's such like a systematic thing. I think oftentimes what happens is if somebody grows up in poverty, it's hard to kind of break out of that because maybe they don't have the opportunities or the resources or whatnot. But it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like what you're saying is it doesn't like, yes, it matters. But in terms of working on money, it doesn't matter if you're coming from poverty or if you're coming from a more privileged place, because you're still not doing the same thing, but working
1: through the same path. Yeah, you are. You're still dealing with the same. It's like relationships. It doesn't matter if you've been married for 15 years or you're dating somebody, you still have the same type of problems in a relationship. Whether you have a million dollars, two million, five million, or a thousand, you still have the same problems emotionally when it comes to money. Like You could be making $300,000 a year and spending 350. And right. the things you're spending on could not Bring any value to your life. It could be shallow spending. It could be for somebody else's benefit. It could be to impress people, you know. Whereas the person with a thousand dollars may also be overspending and have the same pattern, but they don't have the same dollar amount. Or, you know, it could be you have a million dollars and you're sitting on it, holding it, and hoping that it makes you rich, same as a thousand dollars. And you're in a scarcity mindset where you think it's going to go away. It doesn't matter as far as you know, your mindset with money, how much the number is. It matters. Okay, what are your triggers? Where are your traumas? The average person has seven to 10 money blocks, abundance blocks in their lives that they don't even realize they have. And just one of those blocks can debilitate you when it comes to financial health, just one of them. And I say that because people don't even realize they have these, you could be very wealthy and you don't realize you have these abundance blocks or money traumas in your life. And until you know, you start to recognize those, you might have the same traumas as somebody who is in $300,000 in debt. And you guys, have the same emotional pattern when it comes to money. So, yeah, you're exactly right. It doesn't really matter from a emotional and money mindset perspective how much you have. It really matters where did you come from? What are your challenges? Why how do you relate self-worth to money? Do you at all? Most people do and how do you work through that?
0: Oh my gosh. I love that you just compared it to a relationship that you compared it to like the, it doesn't matter if you've been dating for six months or married for 60 years, right? If you're having the same patterns, that makes so much sense to me. And it's so true. Cause I've had those money blocks of like, Oh, well I can't go invest this yet. Cause I'm not making such and such amount, whatever amount I've decided in my head, you know, and looking at, Where we learn those things and how to kind of rewrite those messages is huge. So, part of okay ish, like the whole reason this podcast is called okay ish is because I want to help rewrite the messages of everything has to be perfect, right? We're all not going to feel empowered all the time. Do we want to feel that sometimes? Yeah, but like that's not realistic. I want us all to just feel kind of okay ish. So, what is like a big money message that people have heard that like you are working to rewrite?
1: So a lot of things I'm working to rewrite comes with investing and saving because, you know, everybody has, okay, budget or this or that. Those things, yeah, we could all agree with. But when it comes to budgeting or saving or when it comes to investing, a lot of people think investing is overwhelming. A lot of people think the world of investing is scary. A lot of people think that you need a lot of money. To invest, you could start with $100 and never put a dollar more in a day. You know, a lot of people think there's a lot of misconceptions about money out there that overwhelm people. So, overall, the big misconceptions that it takes a lot of money to invest, it takes a lot of time to be better with money, it takes a lot of effort. You know, I want to kibosh all that stuff because all it really takes, to be honest, is you to take a step back, zoom out at your big picture ask yourself what you want, and then make a plan. It's, you don't need an advisor. You could self-invest. You don't need to read 200 books. You can read one book and learn. As long as you make a little change in your life, I think you could kibosh a lot of those misconceptions that we've talked about. But being honest with yourself is really the answer of you know, every problem you want to solve with money. Because if you're not honest with yourself and your financial situation well, then you can never address those challenges. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Okay, so Tara, how can people work with you? How can people find you? Okay, so I have a website. It's teramariemurphy.com. I'm very active on my Instagram, Tara Marie Murphy. same thing. <laughs> so I post a lot of money tips on there. There's free trainings on there. If you're part of my mailing list, which you can find through my website or Instagram, I'm always teaching free classes, giving free resources, I try, like I said, I have a full time job in investment banking, but on the side, like this is my bread and butter as far as my heart is concerned. This is where I want, same as you go to the clinic and you help women going through divorce. Mm -hmm. I want to help women, entrepreneurs, young people realize, hey, money's not scary. It's really not. And it could be an opportunity for you, even budgets. Budgets aren't scary. They allow you to say yes more often in your life and allow you to have less financial stress. So, Let me help you is basically my message. Like I have gone through this for 10 plus years. Like, let me help you, please. I would love to. And uh, yeah, I offer one-to-one coaching. I have programs. I'm not here to make money. I'm here to help people. So if you feel like I'm somebody that you can trust, I would love to work with you.
0: Oh my gosh. I love that you are in a position and are able to, you know, obviously offer things so you can get paid because you deserve to get paid, but also offer some free resources, some other resources for people like that's absolutely incredible. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming on. And thanks so much for talking and telling us about all these dirty words that aren't actually dirty words. I love it. (laughs) Absolutely love it. (laughs) Everybody go check out Tara Marie Murphy. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me please follow me wherever you're listening to this podcast and on Instagram at Podcast. Also, I would love it if you could rate the podcast and leave a review. The best way to get in contact with me is to go to okayishpodcast.com and submit a comment question. You can do it anonymously too, which is so great. I will see you guys next Monday. I can't wait.